getting into place. And as um, Marsha was talking about Thanksgiving, I was thinking about Mark, uh, Mark Hoffman. It is not easy to choose music. Um, I'm not a musician, but you have to choose songs that are singable, and then you have to sing songs that are biblical, and um, I think Mark does a wonderful job of doing that. So let's just give Thanksgiving claps for Mark. And let me pray. God, as I preach, I pray that um, your word is what is heard. Your word living is Jesus Christ. Your word written is scripture. And scripture is profitable for correction and reproof. It's profitable for encouragement and direction. And I thank you for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been confused? Yeah, no. Seth says no. Well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Here's some signs. Confusing? Let's say you're, you're going to your friend's house and you say, oh, do I stop? Do I keep moving? Do you stop and look around for the policeman? Or do you go through it and then look for the policeman? Or how about this one? It's another stop sign. I mean, come on, right? And then what about if you get to an, uh, you, you get into an intersection where you have to take a turn and you see this sign? No left turns allowed unless traffic is very light on aviation. <laughs> Right? A little confused. What? It took me a while to figure out what, oh, on, is there an airport? I mean, I don't know. Or how about if you come to a T intersection and you see this? Turn left. Okay. And then finally, let's say you're going to see your friend and you got, they live on the 15th floor in downtown Chicago, and you're going to take the elevator. <laughs> right, right, the sign, the, <clears throat> puberty, <clears throat> the signs are a little confusing, are they not? Well, this is the situation we get with John, John the Baptist. Jesus is his cousin. Some amazing Christmas stories to start in with next week. And John's trying to figure out what's going on. So let's just begin with our text and see what's going on. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, we don't want to pass too quickly through this which is, I think, the normal thing we do. We just read and get on to what the rest of the text is saying. But we want to remember real quickly what Jesus had just finished instructing his disciples about. Do you remember? We've been preaching on it for about the last four weeks. Here's what. Jesus has said stuff like this. I send you out as sheep 
in the midst of what? Wolves. You will be persecuted for my sake. You will be brought before kings and governors. You will be beaten. It is not pretty out there. It's not good at all. And then you know what Jesus does? He goes out into the midst of wolves. He's going out into their cities. He's going to go out where he can be beaten. And in fact, he is beaten, is he not? In fact, he is flayed, right? He is stripped down, beaten, and nailed to a cross, right? So what we learn right from the beginning of Matthew 11, 1 through 19, is that Jesus walks the talk. He's not telling you, be careful, it's bad out there, good luck. He doesn't say, I know it's tough, I'm praying for you. He says, I'm going to go out there. I'm with you. I'm involved in the same place as you're involved in. I'm in it with you. So if you are ever feeling like, God, where are you? I want you to know from verses like these, Jesus is there with you. You may not see him, you may not recognize him, you may not feel him, but he's there because he's walking the talk with you. Our text continues. Now, when John heard in prison. So John's in prison. He's going to lose his head pretty soon for his stupid jealousy. Okay? So now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, he sent word by his disciples, because John has disciples too, and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John knows he's the Christ, but he's a little confusing. Uh, confused. Is it la- do I stop here or do I go? Is it left that way or is it left that way? Is the elevator working? Or is now I'm J- Jesus? I I need some clarification. It doesn't make sense. See. Remember that John baptized Jesus, right? And at bat- the baptism, he saw the heavens rent like you're, like you're ripping a sheet. Just rent. Must have been amazing. He saw a dove, uh, the Holy Spirit like a dove descend upon Jesus. Must have been amazing. He heard... <laughs> he heard from heaven, the voice of God, which said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So John, from the baptism of Jesus, probably if you heard the story from his mother about, uh, her, uh, about Mary, which undoubtedly he did, is, has these great expectations for Jesus. Right? Amazing baptism, amazing birth, amazing baptism, and John must be thinking, this is going to be great. And he's looking at the signs, and he's saying, hmm, 
a little confusing. Let's just see why he really would be confusing. Let's go back to chapter 3 in Matthew and, uh, and figure this out. So in chapter 3, if you remember, John said this. He's preaching, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, meaning Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in, it's not really with, it should be in. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, just like John is baptizing people in the Jordan. John, Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to be all around you, immersed in the Holy Spirit. And fire, Jesus is baptizing in fire. Oh, John's getting excited. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's going to clear his, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Yeah, you can hear John. He, I, I can't carry his tone, but he's going for it. He's excited. He's seen Jesus' baptism, and he's looking forward to the baptism in fire. He's looking forward to the winnowing fork. You know what a winnowing, winnowing fork looks like? That's it. That's a winnowing fork. How'd you like to get speared with that thing? Not nice, right? But John is saying he's going to take a winnowing fork and he is going to clear things up. But he's not seeing that. So the signs aren't matching up to what he's expecting. He's not seeing that. He's thinking, well, who are the chaff that are going to burn with unquestionable fire? They're the Romans. There is Herod. It's the Pharisees, it's the scribes, it's the Sadducees, it's the Zealots, it's people who don't repent and follow Christ. When are you going to take them on, Jesus? When are you going to take that fork and just stick it in them and just toss them out? When are you going to clean things up? You see, John's in prison. Remember, John's in prison. And he's wondering why... Jesus isn't clearing the threshing floor like he thought he would. And he's wondering why the wheat is not being put into the barn. And he's wondering why the chaff isn't burning with an unquenchable fire. Why isn't Jesus taking care of this stuff? He's not having a crisis of faith. But he is seeking clarification of his faith. Anselm of Canterbury was a bishop back in uh, 1033 to 1109. And he's talked about faith seeking understanding. We have faith, but when we look around us, we say, it's not matching up with what I expect. So let me tell you about that time with me. When I graduated from Princeton Seminary, Bonnie was in Africa. And I thought, okay, it won't be a problem for me to get my, a call as a pastor. 
I stayed home that summer while I was making applications to churches. I was painting the house. And I thought, okay, this won't be hard. Except I got rejection after rejection after rejection, which I've never had a hard time getting a job, whether it's working at Burger King or McDonald's or getting in a church. But it was, sorry, we filled this position. Sorry, you're not the right kind of person. Sorry, we don't have this position available. Every reason for a rejection you can think of, and I'm thinking, all right, God, what's going on? Because all I'm being is rejected. Finally, the church about a mile from my parents' house, which I did not want to go to. (laughs) It's a big church, 750-member church, big church. My dad was like, Stuart, you just need to call him. I'm like, Dad, I don't want to go there. Stuart, you just need to call him. Listen to my dad. So I called him. Yeah, we'd love to have you come. Oh, fantastic. Over, said, and done in 12 hours. I am going to that church, read memorial. And let me just say, it was a wonderful experience. Just absolutely wonderful. But at the time, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be in Augusta, Georgia. Didn't want to be there. Except then I began to see more clearly. Because about three weeks after I had been there, maybe a month, I got a phone call. Is this the Pattisons? Yes, it is. Uh, is Mrs. Patterson there? No, she's not. This is her son, Stuart. Stuart, I think you need to come down to the hospital. Your dad's been in an accident. My dad's the chairman of psychiatry at the, univer- at the medical school. Everybody knows him. All right. Call my mom. Mom, dad's been in an accident. All right. They want us to come down. Is he okay? I don't know. They wouldn't tell me. That's never a good sign, is it? When the doctor won't tell you. And all of a sudden you're thinking, all right, God, what are you doing? What's going on? We go down there. We get met by doctors. We get met by the whole emergency room. He's in a coma. Not an induced coma. He was thrown out of the car, and his brain was actually, he didn't look like he had been in an accident at all. He looked just perfect. But he was thrown from the car, and it severed inside his skull, severed his brain, basically. Okay, God, what are you doing? We need, we have faith. We didn't never doubt God. But we need some understanding. What are you doing? Circumstances have a way of thrusting themselves on the way we think about God, of what God is doing in our lives. What are you doing, God? That's John. He's in prison. He's had these great expectations. He's not seeing it. So he sends his disciples Bring me some clarity. In say it loud. It, my bunny says, explain the rest of read why I was there. Which is right. The reason I was at that church is because my dad was in that coma for two years, and I was able to be there in Augusta, Georgia, where I didn't want to be. Linda Ronset had come out with a song. 
And in one of her phrases in that song, it said, Augusta Georgia is just no place to be. Okay. <laughs> but that's where I was. And I understood I was there for my mom. I was there to help. My dad was cared for at home in a coma with a nurse around the clock. But I was there ministering at the church just a mile away. And I could be there for my mom. And wasn't that wonderful? And then when it's time for me to leave, because I was getting married to somebody here in the church, <laughs> a member of this church, um, my brother finished seminary, and he came home then and finished, finished out, was there when my dad died. And all of a sudden, it became clear. Okay, God. Now, I was blessed because I saw it. Sometimes we don't see. But it's okay to seek understanding. It's okay for John to be asking Jesus this. In January of 1994, an earthquake lasting up to 20 seconds hit San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, California, causing nearly $20 billion in damages and the deaths of nearly 60 people. Much of the city's power was lost because of the quake. Radio and television stations were knocked off air. That night, the Griffith Observatory, which is, California calls them mountains. But if you know mountains, they're really just big hills. You know, they're really big hills. But um, that night, the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles began to receive phone calls from panicked citizens, and they were reporting a strange sky. <laughs> Seth is cracking up here. They speculated that perhaps the silver cloud above them somehow had caused the earthquake. After some confusion, the director of the observatory realized what was going on. While the city lights, lights with the city lights made powerless by the earthquake, for the first time maybe ever, the people living in Los Angeles looked up at the dark sky, the scary, the scary, smoky, silver sky, uh, silver cloud they reported was the Milky Way. Today, two-thirds of the United States population, one-fifth of the world cannot see it. I lived in the Los Angeles basin, and I guarantee the sky looks nothing like that. When your world experiences an earthquake, when somebody dies, when a husband dies, a child dies, when something shakes you, when there's a car accident, when there's a divorce, when it rocks your life and you think the sky is falling down on you, we have to remember this, out, this, this passage began, he's with you, he's out there with you. He's out there with you. We need to look to the Lord who created the heavens and earth and to, to search his word and ask God, what is happening? It's okay to do that. That's what this passage is saying. It's okay. 
It's faith-seeking understanding. His word will help you. His word will bring clarity to you. Make sense of what you can't see with your eyes. Maybe you'll learn something about the cross of Christ. Maybe you'll learn that Jesus, or you'll be reminded that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. So let's look now at how Jesus brings clarity to John, who's in prison, and his expectations of Jesus are not being met. And Jesus answered the disciples of John, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed unheard of, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Now those are probably familiar words to John. John is probably familiar with the book Isaiah in ways that we are not. Because if we were really familiar with Isaiah, as John would be, he realizes that Jesus is talking about Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Let me read them for you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Yep. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Yep. And then the lame man shall leap like the deer. Yep. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Yep. In addition, there's a few added bonuses. The lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised. Yep. And then Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Yep, that's exactly right. And John's probably going, yes, except Isaiah says one more thing that Jesus does not say. And if this is going through John's head, which I think it is, he's going, oh, this is what it says. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus affirmed he is the Messiah, clarifying, I am the Messiah. The blind do see, the lame walk, and moreover, dead are raised. But, John, I'm going to bring some clarity to your faith. I'm not going to release you from prison. Now is not the time for the winnowing fork. I'm not coming after Rome. Not now, John. The second time he comes, he is coming after everything. Be a different situation. She's not going to overthrow Herod or Rome. And all of a sudden, John is like, okay, I'm getting clarity. Jesus is out in the world, and he's going to be crucified too. And he's going to be put on a cross. I'm getting clarity. So as we seek understanding to our faith, when the signs are confusing, we don't know what God's doing, look to his word, and we'll find clarity. And then Jesus continues on. He says this, And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Not offended by me because I'm not going to do what you expect. Not offended 
that you're going to be in prison. Not offended that I'm going to let your dad get in a car accident and sever his brain. Not offended by the fact that I'm not the person you want me to be, except I am, if you look at my word. I'm more than you ever could expect. He blesses John for his faith-seeking understanding. And as they went away, that would be John's disciples. As John's disciples went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you uh, expect to see? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? He, first of all, he blesses John. Blesses John for having questions, for wanting his faith clarified. It's okay. That's a good thing to do. Let's clarify our faith. So, and all the crowds are in this. Second of all, he's telling the crowds, John doesn't blow with the wind. Those are politicians, right? What am I going to say today? No? Politicians. That's not John. That's not somebody who follows Jesus. And then these words, pay attention, behold. Remember that word, behold, pay attention. Those who wear soft clothing, clothings are in king's houses. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. John is not a person of privilege. John is not saying, why me? Why am I in prison? Why did my father get in a car accident? Why is my mom left alone? Why me? If you say, why me? Then you're saying, somebody else should experience it. Because they are not as worthy as I am. That's not John. John is not saying, all you crowds, he's a person of privilege because he believes in me. My belief in Jesus doesn't get me out of sorrow and pain. What it does mean is that in my sorrow and pain, he's right there with me. The Lord is my shepherd, and he takes me through the valley of darkness. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And people who are experiencing pain, you know what they need? Comfort. John's not like those kings. Jesus has been talking about persecution and suffering, and John is a case in point. He continues on. A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, there it is again. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Pay attention. I send my messenger. So here's what I want you to understand. He's in prison. Pay attention. But he's mine. I have not forgotten him. He is God's messenger. And that word, messenger, you know what's so interesting about that? That word is used 20 times in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew. Every single time, except for when talking about John, every single time it was translated as angel. That's what the Greek actually means, angel. Now, John's not an angel, but angels are messengers. 
right? They're messengers from God. John belongs to God. He's God's messenger, just like the angels are God's messengers. John is being affirmed by, by Jesus here. John, you're in prison, experiencing bad stuff, but you belong to God. You're very important to God. You have an important role to play, John, even though you're in prison. Paul was in prison, and if Paul was never in prison, we wouldn't have most of our Bible. Do you realize that? Do you think he knew it at the time? Bet he didn't. But God did. And we do. And the same is true for me and you. Jesus has no doubt about who you are to him. No doubt about who you are to him. I bet John is thinking of Isaiah 43 as well. Jesus has already referenced Isaiah two times. But I think this is going through John's mind. Isaiah 43. But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He's not going to save you from the waters. He's going to be with you in the waters. And through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. You'll get through it. I'm with you. I'm bringing you through it. Just like he took Israel through the sea, through the Red Sea. They did not, it did not overwhelm them. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. The flame, they shall not consume you. Meshach, Shadrach, and Bendigo, you know, they're in the fire. They say, you know what? If the fire consumes us, it's, it's all right. If it doesn't, praise be to God, right? But we're going to obey. We're going to follow through. We're going to do it. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Yeah. That's God. Never forgets who you are. Even though you have questions about God, God never forgets who you are. Now, this, with this next slide, the text really takes a turn. It goes from John being in prison and from suffering and, and from John's own confusion to some clarity about theology, in a sense. And this is what Jesus says. He's still speaking to the crowds. You have to remember that. He says, truly, which is amen. That's what the word amen means, truly. I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than me. That's a great trivia question, isn't it? Who is the greatest person in the Bible? Moses. No. Daniel. No. Um, Elijah. No. Who is it? Oh, besides Jesus. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, no one, okay, other than Jesus, okay, other than the Trinity, okay, Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus. Who is the greatest person in the Bible? John the Baptist. Straight from the words, mouth of Jesus. And he said, the first are last, and last is first. That's not the way we think about it. 
Well, really quickly, I just want to tell you about this, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, this is from somebody who's the least. She, she's the head of MOPS International. She says this, I'm probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was five. My older sister, younger brother, and I were raised by my alcoholic mother. While my mother meant well, truly she did, most of my memories are of my mothering her rather than her mothering me. Alcohol altered her love, turned it into something that was not love. I remember her weaving, weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Houston, Texas, glass of scotch in her hand. She would wake me at 2 a.m. just to make sure I was asleep. I would wake her at 7 to try to get her off to work. Sure, there were good times, Christmas and birthdays. She went all out for us and celebrated us as children. But even those days ended with a warped glow of alcohol. She did what was right. She did right. What she did right uh, was lost in what she did wrong, and what she did what was wrong. Ten years ago, I was asked by, uh, to consider leading MOPS International, a vital ministry to nursing mothers. I went straight to my knees. How could God use me, who, nev who has never been mothered, to nurture other mothers? The answer came when I gazed in the eyes of other moms around me and saw their needs mirroring my own, God seemed to take my deficits and make them my offering. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is what's saying. This is what Jesus is saying. The least shall be the great. His power is made great in weakness. Do you feel weak? Do you feel powerless? Do you feel like God can't use you? John, Jesus has something completely different to say. All right, let's wrap this up as quickly as we can. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And for violence, take it by force, which is why John's in prison. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? And I just want to say, when it comes to this generation, He's not talking about just we are this generation. The opening chapter of Matthews leaves out one generation. Scholars go back and forth. What is this? The generation he leaves out. It's this generation. It's us. It's me and you. And this pertains to our culture so well. But what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. A dirge is a funeral song, okay? So here's what John is saying. This culture, 
his culture, our culture, his generation, our generation, same one, they're confused. They don't know the difference between a funeral and a wedding. They don't know whether to mourn or to dance. We have confusion in our culture. Would you agree? We have somebody on the Supreme Court who doesn't know what a woman is. Confused? We have men, we have pe men who say, people, doctors, who say men can have babies. I'm not joking. I stay in touch with these, this media. It's a concern of mine. It's crazy. They are crazy. They are confused. Now listen how absolutely confused they are. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So if you don't come in eating and drinking, you have a demon, and if you come eating and drinking, you're a glutton, do you see the confusion of our culture? Turn on your TV sometime. Just listen to the news. Watch the programming. We live in a very confused culture. And what's really bad is our culture doesn't want to seek understanding. John is doing that. Our culture is lost. You are the light of the world. May your faith guide you and instruct you. So what are my takeaways real quickly? One, whatever you're facing, Jesus is in it with you. He's in it with you. Two, faith should always seek understanding. That's why you should come to the KLB hour. It's, we're learning more. Our faith is growing. It means you're growing in your faith. The more you understand about God and how God operates, when you understand that the least are the greatest, then maybe you'll understand that men are men and women are women. The more we understand about God and his design, the greater our faith will grow. And then finally, This generation, our generation, is confused about everything from power to gender to Christ. The weak are strong. The least are the greatest. The weak are strong. We find life through death on a cross. But our culture doesn't understand that, and they're offended by that. The gospel answers all these questions. Let us pray. Lord, we come here because we have faith, but we don't always understand all the things we see, all the signs we see, just like John didn't. And John was bold to send his disciples to ask you, what's it all mean? And you made sense of it for him. And thank you that as we seek you through your word, that 
life begins to gain some clarity and some understanding. And I know that personally in my own life, God. Lord, as we pray here now, we also pray for, um, for other prayer concerns. We pray for the winters who are in Japan, missionaries that we support. We pray for their safe travels. And we pray for safety for all our missionaries. And Bunny and I are aware of missionaries that have suffered great loss, the great loss of their father. And they witnessed it. The children, the mother, the wife. And we pray for them, God, for support. We pray for Bob and Joanne uh, as they continue to mourn the loss of their daughter. Pray that they would um, just feel the love of the church, your body, and be well aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We pray for safe travels for um, the, our Meadows family as people travel during Thanksgiving on busy roads. Keep them safe. Keep them safe from accidents. And, and I pray that their Thanksgiving with family would be just wonderful, God. And we pray for our pastoral search team, for the wisdom to discern the person that you have brought forward to us. And we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.